Hey guys, it's Mary and Steven from From the Top. Uh, we wanted to come on really quick before this week's episode and give a little bit of a disclaimer and give a little bit of support to communities that may be affected by some things that are currently happening in the news. Yeah. Uh more well-known is maybe the anti-drag law uh, that just passed this last week in Tennessee. And looks like there's a lot of other things in the works with other states. And we wanted to come on. We wanted to denounce any and all laws that are currently attempting to be passed uh, that are against our allies in the drag community, mm -hmm. in the sex worker community, and especially in the trans community, our brothers and sisters that uh, we know and love. Um, this affects them directly, and especially young teens. Mm -hmm. um, this if really does uh, take away life-affirming uh, medications. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes away uh, support that is had. Just know that Mary and I and uh, mm. all of our listenership, we hope, uh, from the top, uh, support you and all of your endeavors. I, I want everyone to take the time to pay attention to the things that are going on. This is this is big. This is bigger than I think we think even. Yeah. If they start taking this away at the smallest point for minorities, uh, what else are they going to do? So it's it's really unfortunate that we have to say this at all. But if you ever need someone to reach out to, if you need a space to be your true authentic self, please feel free to reach us at any of our socials. Reach us personally at our socials. We are here for you. We see you. We love you. We support you. And we don't think it's okay that other people get to tell you who you get to be. Please go out and support your local drag performers, uh, your sex workers if you are of age, and our local clubs and bars and every space available. Go have a drag queen read you a story. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So, Mary. Yes, my How love. was that all female cast? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I was really empowered. I felt really great. I loved it, but I mean, okay, I can't keep up the charade anymore. I, the one man in the entire cast was a prettier woman than anyone else. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> ah, so you found the intruder. <laughs> I literally the first ten the first ten seconds of this show, I text you and I went. Is Sylvia like St. Croix a drag performer? And it's just took 30. Yep. <laughs> so I didn't lie. The entire cast is female, but there happens to be yeah. a drag queen. Yes. But it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> I first 10 seconds, that's when I texted you and I went, oh my God, the the one of the title characters is a drag performer. <laughs> And it's amazing. Her, my God, uh, with a name like Sylvia St. I'm saying it wrong. It's Sylvia St. Croix. Oh, no, I'm yeah. saying it right. Yeah. Oh, that's my God. Right. We won't have to show notes me for that. Yeah. Not yet. Oh. <laughs> well, I think that's an excellent segue. I think we need to take this show from, from the, the top. top. From the top. On five, six, seven. Tonight, tonight, there's room for eight. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. I'm Steven. And tonight on the marquee, we are deep diving a musical called Hi. Ruthless. I'll get it. Hello. Yes, this is Tina's mother. Hello, Mrs. Farmer. How's that? Tina sang and danced for your blind mother. Oh. She loves to entertain. Yes, she'll return her cane. Thank you for calling goodbye. Tina's mother here. Hi, Mrs. Adams. A party? I'll tell her she's invited. Oh my God, the show. (laughs) Aren't they a little bit ruthless Um, in every way? Literally, in the textbook definition of ruthless was ju- just C cast of characters. Like it was C just... cast of characters. How everyone and anyone can be ruthless in their own way. It almost felt a little bit meta in the in the way of it made references to other shows, or I think it made references to other shows mm-hmm. that I would start listening to music and I'd go, "That's from Little Orphan Annie?" Question mark. Um, that is totally a line from Gypsy. What are we doing? Are we? Yep. <laughs> okay, so I'm not totally, I wasn't like on an no, acid totally. trip. Okay. In fact, it's, it's always really funny. The creators of the show, they often say um, it's not even the people who watch the show that love the show. It's the people that do this show <laughs> that love this show more. <laughs> and one of their favorite quotes they ever had from uh, anyone who's played this little girl in this show uh-huh. is, once I played Tina... There's no going back to Annie. <laughs> that That's unbelievably true because there were moments in this that I went first. So I was getting, um, you know, baby June from Gypsy, right? I I mean, I understand it's not a musical reference, but I'm going to say it anyway. I got like Jean Benet Ramsey vibes, like very beauty oh. pageant. Like, oh, so hard. So hard. And this is okay. all sort of in that era. What is the synopsis, Mary, oh. of good old oh. Ruthless? Oh. I. This is the first time I think I'm going to give you a synopsis that is literally boiled down to one sentence. There is no price too high for the chance at stardom. Yeah. And that's really all this show <laughs> is... <laughs> In a more loquacious sense, you have a woman, Judy, whose daughter, Tina, is absolutely loved and adored by many a person in her community because she is an avid performer. And she sings to the elderly and she'll tap dance for charity and she does all these things. And then Sylvia St. Croix, who is a producer or an agent of sorts, comes in and says, your daughter could be great. And Judy says, I'm not going to subject her to that. And through trials and tribulations of missed opportunities and failed, you know, auditions, I guess, and miscasting and a lot of tragedy, multiple different tragedies over the course of two acts of this show, <laughs> we we find out that people aren't who they said they were. And ultimately, the life ideals between Judy and Tina end up switching in the end 
but there is a beautiful red herring that's like trickled right in throughout. Oh, yeah. This idea of creating who you want to be. Are you born with talent or is it thrust upon you? Yes. It's that it's that whole thing. Oh, it's just so fun. We've been throwing out names. We need to have a cast list. We need yes. to know who we're working with. Yes, uh, absolutely. A call sheet is something that is in order of operations. Uh, we need to be able to know who we're dealing with to be able to talk about the show. So, like I said, your your cast of characters is about six people, three of them playing dual roles, as we come to find out. We're going to start with Tina Denmark. So, uh, Tina. Oh, Tina, our little <laughs> blonde beauty, blonde-haired, blue-eyed goddess who's just... Yeah, also literally, a little, little piece of crap. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's literally the most mischievous person I think I've ever... Nope, that's a lie. Not ever. But in recent history that I've seen in in shows, and I even leaned over to the Phantom of the Pod and I said, this is exactly the reason why I'm never having children. Right? Never. Yeah. So she's the talented one. She's the cute little child star should be. She's literally got Broadway running through her veins and she's just rearing to go. Um, Her main point is a school play is coming up and she wants the lead. Hippie in Tahiti. (laughs) It's just silly. It's good. But yes, Tina is very along the lines of baby June. Um, yes. A little bit of orphan Annie thrown in there uh, at certain points during the show. So followed behind Tina, we have her mother, Judy. We find out later that Judy is actually the daughter of Ruth Del Marco. And her name is Ginger. So this actress will play dual roles, Judy Denmark and Ginger Del Marco. As we are going through the show, please keep in mind that when we reference this character by either name, it is played by the same actress. Right. Yeah. God. Judy. Oh, Judy. Oh, Judy. Is so quaint. And but the the thing is, she's so cute. You, when uh, she's the mother, of course, of Tina. Yes. And is a pretty much a picture perfect mother in every way. <laughs> Just think about um, Audrey from Little Shop in her like fla- or her fantasy flashback yeah, of being in the fifties. She 50s. has absolutely gotten somewhere that's green outside yeah. of Skid Row and yes. is living her somewhere that's green fantasy. Yes, yes. one thousand <laughs> percent. <laughs> to the point that we're like singing a song. She keeps answering the phone. She's pledging everything. She's cutting cakes and just talking to everyone in the community about how Tina will come and perform do and do something. Yeah. And it's really interesting <laughs> because you you see that she's lost her identity a little bit. Mm-hmm. You, you see that she is known and almost references herself more as Tina's mother, as opposed to her own name, Judy Denmark. So it's almost a foreshadowing that she doesn't know who she is. (laughs) To the point that when Sylvia comes to the door the first time and she says, Judy, Judy, are you Judy Denmark? And she goes, Judy, that's my name, Judy, Judy. And then Sylvia goes, Tina's mother. And then she just goes back into her song. Oh yes, that's who I am. It's literally just, oh my, uh, it's absolutely sublime. And then in juxtaposition of Judy, we have Ginger Del Marco, who is absolutely the iconic Broadway star. She is beautiful and talented and and is loved and adored by everybody. And she's in everything and everyone wants to be her. And it only comes after she figures out who she is and what her real identity is, which I find so fascinating that all it takes is one piece of knowledge to flip the script. Human psyche, so easily breakable. (laughs) 
weird. <laughs> um, so followed after Judy, we have Lita Encore, which I just now understood how funny that name is. <laughs> so Lita is Judy's mother, but she is Judy's adoptive mother. So the story goes that Judy was abandoned, right? And then Lita found her somewhere doing something. Yes. I mean, it was always a little muddy on on how that went. But... Right. She stole her from an orphanage. <laughs> right. Something. But yeah, oh, Lita is this well-known theater critic and like has closed shows. Oh, yes. Thousands Just of by the words she writes and uh, people revere her as this amazing theater critic so it's uh interesting <laughs> to say the least <clears throat> having a her having a granddaughter that is absolutely so talented absolutely and i i mean i have to say that one of my favorite lines of her introduction is you know my, she hates everything theater she's a theater critic and and sylvia just goes nuts because sylvia is now making connections as to who lita is yes. which then leads to more revelations as the show goes on and then followed behind lita we have myrna thorne and myrna is tina's teacher who is the one who ultimately does not cast Tina in Pippi and Tahiti. And she is also a former actress or former, I don't, I can't remember if she actually was a Broadway actress or if she gets to Penn Station and everything falls apart. <laughs> yeah, I think she, uh, like, she wanted to become an actress and she had wanted to get maybe even, like, writing shows and that sort of thing. Sure. So that's why she is now writing shows for this third grade. <laughs> thing so yeah it's, uh, it's one of those sad uh failure stories in a way so you, you had the fallback absolutely oh yeah something to fall back on followed directly behind myrna we have sylvia saint croix who also is revealed later as ruth del marco again if we reference this character by either name it is played by the same I will say actress because, you know, femme presenting. Uh, Sylvia St. Croix is the talent agent who finds Tina and tells Judy that her career will be bright and fabulous and that Sylvia will be the person to kind of get her there. And then we find out that Ruth Del Marco was a, an actress who really succumbed to one of the reviews from Lita Encore to the point that it was rumored that she had ended her own life because of this review. And of course, so Ruth Del Marco is Ginger's mother, but it is not revealed that Sylvia is Ruth until right towards the very end of the show. But we don't know who Ruth is yet. We Again, we've all assumed that Ruth has passed on. And then followed right behind Sylvia and Ruth Del Marco, we have Betty Lerman, who is also played later, or the same actress will then play a character later called Eve. So once again, following along, Betty Lerman and Eve are the same actress. Uh, Betty Lerman is the mother of the girl who gets cast in Pippi and Tahiti, whose daughter does unfortunately succumb to a very dark demise. And then, uh, <laughs> oh boy. And then Eve is the assistant, the executive assistant, we would say, to Ginger Del Marco, you know, takes all of her calls and tries to organize her life. Then we find out later that Eve does things like snort her cocaine and wear her panties and lay in bed <laughs> right. and stroke her, her tonies. And I'm just like, 
<laughs> what an image. I'm mm, okay. Yes, I'm about it. That's your call sheet, sweet friend. Lots of names. Lots of <laughs> lots of my lots goodness. Of switches, yes. Lots yes. of all the things. But that's exactly what this show does. I'd rather learn a dance routine. I was born to entertain. Walking, I go flapping. When I tap, I make it happen. Mom says I have Broadway on the brain. Don't get too comfy in that seat. When I strut my stuff, you'll be on your feet. I was born to sing and dance. And what I find funny is when this show starts, it starts slow oh yes but but easy not not the pace is fast yes but the but the the information is doled out in a lovely slow fashion and by the end of the show you're avalanched it's very much like an (laughs) iv drip that then becomes a defibrillator it's very yes very hard and fast but it is it is very interesting to see how the show begins because it starts with sylvia on stage talking about talent What is talent? Where does it come from? And that is an excellent segue, I feel, into where does this show come from? So I think really the only way that we can do justice is to take this show from the beginning. That will bring us back to (laughs) Doe. Do, do, oh, do. what a beautiful songbird <laughs> you things, are. None of those things. Um, <laughs> so this darling, cute little show, <laughs> it, it had super weird little humble beginning. But this particular show, you know how we always talk about like, oh, no one really believed in it. Oh, no one like gave it its backing. Oh, no one. And so like totally. that's the story of all of these. Totally. No, no, no. That's not the story about the show. The show has never... Uh, actually made it to Broadway proper. It's never played on the Great White Way. It's always no. been an off-Broadway. Oh. And you say ruthless to some theater people, people know it. Like, the people are like, oh yeah, ruthless. Or at least they've heard of it. Sure. This show is not a show necessarily of hardship getting to on stage because sure. it's never had to raise millions to be produced on Broadway. Sure. It's actually a story about like, copyright law. <laughs> and... <laughs> Navigating that. (laughs) Which I absolutely could tell just from the content and being able to identify other things in... Within it. Yes, 1,000%. So the hints you're getting from other shows are absolutely in there. You're getting a little bit of Gypsy. You're getting a little bit of Mame. Not only that, you're kind of maybe getting even some like all about Eve and some some good old Norma Desmond action. And you're getting some like what happened to baby Jane. The movie that this was actually based on was called The Bad Seed, which is an early 50s film. But that film was based on a book called Bad Seed. 
But that film was then turned into a play. What? Wait, stop. What? Okay. So this has so many weird fun layers. Like this idea of crazy, crazy child has been around for a minute. I'm even going to reference, I have vividly in my mind, this old Twilight Zone episode from the 50s. Yeah. Of this crazy kid, this little boy who can like kill you or turn you into something with his mind or send you away. Because oh my he's so, God. I'm even thinking it has hints of that in there. So people back then were like really up in this idea about some like Satan child. But I find it fascinating though that it was, it started as this that then was based on this, but then it was based on this and this. And that was way too many steps. That was, that was writing with extra steps. Yeah. <laughs> so the author of the show, Joel Paley actually wrote a sort of mini version of this musical oh. based on The Bad Seed, okay. which was one of his favorite shows or movies, films of that time, era, decade, sure. while he was growing up. It was just a one-act one sort of musical that he had written. Through L.A. Life, he had met <laughs> the musical director, Marvin Laird, who ended up wanting to compose the score for a full-fledged version of this said show. Okay. The show was originally going to be called Seedy, uh, which is the bad seed. Seedy, uh, exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah. Cute. So, okay. of course, after you write the musical, you have the libretto. Yes. You need to set out now and get the rights because uh, this is already a well-known film mm -hmm. based on a book that's also a pretty uh, popular play that did actually make it to Broadway in 1954. So there's this entire estate called the Maxwell Anderson estate that owns the rights to the bad seed. Okay. And exclusively owns these rights. And we're holding this tight. They were not wanting to let go. So when Joel uh, had approached and asked for these rights, they were like, are you out of your mind? Absolutely not. Oh, no. <laughs> and that's actually a direct quote. <laughs> So, do you want to know the saving grace? 1,000%. What actually made this show viable? Oh my God, tell me. You're never going to guess. You're right. That's why A I have you. A little fun, cute comedy special show called Saturday Night Live. You're kidding me. Yeah. So, rules and regulations surrounding parody were changing around this time Shut because up. of this show as long as you were you could send something up as long as you did not claim authorship of the original material so they moved forward with oh. the project advised by their lawyers still to proceed but he, they were like maybe you should throw in some other references just to like take some scent off right ergo we now have all of these overtones of all about Eve, Gypsy, Mame, those things. Wow. Uh, but some plot changes had to happen then, too, because the bad seed, uh, the main character, Rhoda Penmark, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh. kills one of her classmates over a penmanship medal. Okay. okay. How quaint and lovely for, like... <laughs> of course. <laughs> Early era. Yes. Instead, Marvin, the composer, turned to Joel, the writer, and said, "What would you have killed someone else, another child, over as a ch you know, as a ch as being a kid?" Oh my! Joel God. replies, "Oh, the lead in the school play. <gasps> Thus was born the plot 
of Ruthless, the musical. I am in love with that. That is perfect. Absolutely sublime. It's the cutest little story, and I'm kind of in love with it. It's because it's not, it was not about this hardship about trying to get it mounted. It was this hardship of trying to figure out who owns the rights and how can we get around it. Oh my (laughs) God. And do you want to know that sounds like a conversation that you and I have had before where it's like, so what would you do? In the event that X happens yeah. and like just knowing that we could have birthed thousands of musicals from the conversations we've had. Um, the thing I do find really interesting about this particular show, they're even still doing revisions and rewrites of it to this day. Oh, you're and kidding. And that's sort of the beauty of it not having maybe even made it to Broadway yet, which means you can still sort of sit there and, you know, play play with the the clay that you've molded and yeah. you can change it a little bit with the yeah. times um so it's it's evolved when it was originally mounted in 1992 in new york at the players theater and then later at a more successful run in 1993 in la they were trying to find a woman to depict this over-the-top diva sure. and not finding exactly what they wanted <laughs> then on a cruise ship They found a sort of diva drag performer and they both looked at each other and went, that's Sylvia. Oh my God. Come here. You like ice cream? You bet I do. Well, it's all banana splits when you've got talent. You won't have to show your tits if you've got talent. You're no silly plastic ingenue in cheesy ads for cheap shampoo. Really? You're too good for television. This is to say, coming off of that cruise ship, uh, uh, that drag performer had a leading role in, uh, in a show. So. I am shook. That is amazing. I know. Yeah, my so, God. so like this show keeps going and, and like the, uh. even going into this, his, this history, they talked about how this show has sort of lived through weird moments of time. Sure. Like we, we talk about the Columbine shootings, the end of this show is essentially like a Shakespearean end with a gun. And oh during that God. whole age of Columbine, it was not looked at well. Yeah. And a lot of people like found the end like super somber and almost scary. Yeah. So it had a really, really dark tone at the end. And sure. then it's sort of come out of that in a while, but then it still speaks to maybe some gun violence and things. So yeah. people are like, is it about this? Did you intend to write it that way? And he's like, no, <laughs> this is absolutely just comedy please take from what you want it is not pushing any agenda i think most people are just going to walk out of the theater having had a fun night um but if you want to take something please take it like it's it's one of those shows because of course people would have to sit and look at it and try to dig for deeper meaning and not just take it for parody but i feel like that is something an evolution in audiences that has kind of shown itself in the last five years ten years whatever you want i mean like looking at saturday night live People will no longer watch Saturday Night Live just for the parody and the fun of it. They're watching it to see what they can, like, the the lessons they can pull from it and the, oh, well, you're trying to push X agenda. And it's like, guys, it's a show. Just like we talked about. We don't have to have pesky meaning in a show sometimes. It can just be a show for a show's sake. Not to say The Ruthless is that show entirely because I got a lot of, like, other things from it. But, I mean, you don't, you're not going to ask the the writer if it was to push a gun violence agenda like really the gun shows up in one portion of the show 
The end. Like, it's not about gun. Oh, it's actually a really great segue sort of into maybe one of the first talking points we can talk about. So uh, when they they had recently redone this script fairly recently sure. and they had made Bernadette Peters uh, play Judy Denmark for a benefit uh, performance in Los Angeles. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, yes. Right. Right. Yes. When addressing the actors, she she says regarding the show, just because we we've seen it now. And what what are your thoughts on this? Because the camp level is so high. The stylization totally. is so high. Totally. It almost it feels like a, it's a parody, of course, but it lives in this world. Like we say about Xanadu, you just have to 100 percent commit. Right. Yes. So. Uh, Peters is is quoted saying the show is your friend and you don't make fun of your friends. I really like that a lot, actually. It speaks, I think, on a level when you are close with someone and you really know somebody, you feel like you are safe in that way that you can poke fun at people, at your friends in particular, and you can give little jabs. It's like, ah, ha, ha, you remember that one time that you did that that stupid thing? That was really funny that you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also speaks on a larger level. The theme that we've been talking about throughout a lot of these shows is theater is a reflection. It's a mirror to society. It goes, here are the things about society that are silly and ridiculous. We're going to show you this in the most campy way possible to yeah. either get you to laugh at it or to get you to notice it. Because a lot of times people aren't going to notice it until it becomes ridiculous. Yeah. And I totally support that. I think that is absolutely spot on and accurate. Yes. But yeah, and this is one of those shows where you have to buy in from second one yes. till that curtain closes. Yes. Like it it is absolutely you're in this weird, stylized, camptastic world, and it is <laughs> so fun. But yet you can see where like all that parody comes in, where just in like all their um joint movement and yes. like the choreography even just in the blocking oh my is, god the blocking is <laughs> it's so yeah. silly consider letting tina be the lerman girl's understudy what's an understudy an understudy is someone who plays the part if the star can't go on i'll do it but then we kind of hinted on it too. This maybe folds right into the pace of this show. Yeah. It's written, I think, with a pace in mind that is very, very stylistic of those 30s and 40s shows where you barely have time to breathe in oh, between God. a sentence. Yes, absolutely. It's perfectly showcased within the first five minutes of that that very first song, Tina's Mother. Every time she sits down, the phone rings. So she has to stand up and grab the phone and she's carrying on a conversation while she is cutting a cake and then pledging the chairs and doing everything to tidy up and get her get herself productive but the phone keeps ringing and keeps ringing and then the third gag is the doorbell is ringing and she answers the pledge can and goes oh that's not right hello and then nothing happens and she goes oh the door and hangs up the phone to go get the door yeah. what i appreciate about that specifically is that when there are pauses when there are moments that things like stop it holds weight it holds a lot right. of weight yeah and that um i have 
a director who I always loved to work with. She frustrated a lot of actors because <laughs> we as actors love to like make our moment and like have that really stew in that and like feel those emotions, right? And like yes. create our own moments for ourselves. Yes. No, no. There was none of that. Like, oh, no, no. No. you 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 don't get to do that unless I say that there's a nice pause here. Oh. So like, otherwise, just give me your dialogue. Oh, my God. Yeah. She was one of my favorites to work with because most of the time, yeah, you, you were being slightly selfish and yeah. you want, were a little bit indulgent on yourself. So um, this <laughs> show is absolutely textbook that. I really do appreciate that about the show more than anything is as someone who is very indulgent, when they're pausing and speaking things, trying to be an actor, quote, and look, it's it's the actor's studio with... Right? <laughs> and I do get very indulgent in that way. So I would welcome it as a challenge just to kind of almost be a slave to the pace because you know that it will kill the show if it does not match up and it will take away the gravity of those moments when they happen, when dialogue stops, because those are moments where I saw through this recording on Broadway HD, this pro shot that there were character connection moments in those pauses, but they would not have happened if every pause had been like that to the point that it made every other moment of the show so campy that like I got dizzy almost watching Sylvia walk around the stage with Judy once. And I'm just like, Oh my God, woman, stop walking. Just quit. (laughs) But it was because they're circling in the mania together. And that's why they're doing that. Yep. But I think this, this speaks so well. So what do we think about this weird little triangle of this family? That's all family, but doesn't know that they're family. Oh boy. This, I, like, oh are boy. Bo- are, do we think that they're born from talent? Do we think that because they're all family, they are all talented? Or is it in their blood? Or, <laughs> you know? Judy seems to be the odd person out because Judy has been conditioned her entire life that she has no talent. Her mother, quote, stepmother, adoptive mother, Lita, has told her. She can't sing. She can't act. A normal life is where she needs to live. And that's all she needs to have to be content. And then completely juxtaposed to Judy, we have Tina. And Tina is born for the stage. And then we backtrack and we see, you know, later on that when Judy is revealed to be the daughter of Ruth Del Marco and everyone knows the reputation of Ruth Del Marco, that's when Judy, who transitions to Ginger, starts going, oh, my God, no, I am talented. No, I can sing. No, I can do all these things. And it speaks on a level of talent can sometimes be when someone tells you that you are talented, you take and run with that. When someone tells you that you're not, you sit and you stifle it, even though you are. And it can play on both sides of that fence. But it is, again, how mentally easy it is to manipulate somebody into thinking one way or another. So I don't know. I think that, you know, for Tina, because that's all she's really known, it might be in her blood because her mother has never really said to her, I don't want you to be this person. She says that she and Frederick are supportive of Tina and what she wants to do. But once the, quote, dark side of the arts, of performance, of whatever it is, kind of starts to rear its ugly head, that's when Judy backtracks and goes, maybe this isn't what I want for her. But then Sylvia goes, what does Tina want? 
And Judy goes, it doesn't matter what Tina wants. It's what I want. And that moment was so powerful because that's every this. Okay, this is going to be a stereotype that I apologize in advance for. But it sounds like every stereotypical pageant mom that looks at their kids and goes, I was never a pageant queen, but this is what she wants and this is what she's good at. So we have to let her do this. It just makes my skin crawl (laughs) just a little bit. Yeah. So it's almost like the reverse or maybe not even the reverse, but it's it's the living out the fantasy with the child. But in this case, not Right? Because you already had lived the fantasy, but then you faked your death to be something else. And then in the end, we reveal that you are still alive. Yeah. Like that is, that's like a baklava. That's a lot of layers that I'm not, (laughs) they're all sticky with honey. I don't know how to get through them all. Just this family is bonkers. (laughs) That is the nicest way of putting it. Yes. 1000%. Yes. So... So then Tina, let's let's get let's dive into Tina a little bit because she is a little balls to the wall, nutso. Oh my god, she's a nutball. She's a nutball. So, again, the the prime example of why I will never bear children in this world. Because what you want to bet that I did that and it would get my little crazy and it would be like, I would kill somebody for this thing. Be like, Mm-mm. I didn't I don't even have I have those thoughts, but I don't say them out loud. Why are you doing that? Child would be the manifestation of all that is in your inner voice. Miss Thorne, the reason I've asked you here is Tina's awfully upset about not playing Pippi. I must admit, Mrs. Denmark, in all my years as an actress, and I've lived on both coasts, I've never known anyone to want to part so desperately. It's as if starring in the play means too much to Tina. That's what worries me. When you think about this little eight-year-old girl doing this horrific thing to get this starring role, do you think that it's a little bit sociopathic, I suppose, that she doesn't feel or that she doesn't outwardly show that she feels remorse about it. Have you ever maybe in real life experienced somebody that maybe hasn't, you know, obviously we don't know if anyone's actually done that, but met someone that you went, ooh, they would shove somebody off a balcony for this role. Have I met people that I feel would do this? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Am I one of those people secretly? Maybe. But I think it's, it's all of that question rolled into one. Sure. I think Tina, having lived such a privileged, perfect, peppy, picture-esque life, right? Such alliteration. What else can she expect? This is almost the first time she's been told no. How did you react to that first, like, heartbreak, right? Right. But it's also a thing when you can look at the person across from you and know that it's not as good, right? Right. Like, that's having a critical eye, that's having that thing. Like, putting myself into Tina's shoes, you go, no, I get it, but there is that that no, we'll call it moral dilemma sure. going on in her head as to, oh, this isn't a problem to off her with her own jump rope, you know? <laughs> um, you have to then say she's a little sociopathic, but I think she was just so tunnel visioned sure. about being the star. I don't know. I mean, this whole family is a little cuckoo, right? And I have to, <laughs> I have to wonder like where she would get that from. Cause like, Really, like, we know that Judy is the only kind of constant in her life and her grandmother, but dad is absent. We know that he's only seen every six weeks. So, like, I would want to know, does it? where does it come from? Like, how does an eight-year-old 
not have the capacity for remorse when they hurt somebody like that. Well, you know? I mean, look, look at the look at the uh, alleged grandmother with Ruth Del Marco, aka Sylvia Saint Croix. She sure. is she had the capacity to up and leave her child and then create a whole new persona. And then we look at her mother, who had a complete <laughs> mental lapse and is able to just flip on into this picture perfect mother and forget all that she ever was. That right? is very true. And then, so maybe it's not talents passed down hereditarily, it's insanity. <laughs> yes, it's mania and, and insanity. Right, I'm overcome, but I haven't a clue as to who Tina gets it from. Surely there must be something you can do. Well, let me think. I can make a bed. You see, I told you. And do a thousand things with chicken. You're brimming with talent. My smoked salmon spread. Fred said it. Finger licking. Fred? My husband. But on a stage. I question on in this show who who I love and who I want. Like if, if I were, if I were anyone clearly like drag queen wise, I would pl- of course play Sylvia St. Croix. That would be amazing. <laughs> but like, I think my favorite person in the show is Judy. I really do. I like her. I like her story arc in this. From an actor's perspective to be able to kind of play this duality of being your stereotypical 1950s picture perfect housewife who has everything done and everyone's taken care of and no one really cares about the housewife because she's the glue holding everything together. And then in the second act, we get this woman who is completely self-centered, who wants to be, you know, on everybody's mind, who wants to be in front of everyone's eyes. And she used to be so content with just being with her daughter. And that was all she was conditioned to know, to see this whole new lifestyle where she drinks all the time and she's doing drugs and she's, she's engaging in all these things that she never would have done had she not known her true identity. That is an acting exercise in and of itself because I feel like as actors, not trying to project, but I will speak for myself, that there are times where in my personal life, I am that 1950s housewife. I hold everything together. I make sure everyone gets where they need to go. I make sure that my lifestyle is exactly what it needs to be. But then when I become indulgent, I go to the max and I want to perform in front of everyone. I want to sing in front of everyone. I will go to a karaoke bar and get three drinks in and all of a sudden I am Adele standing at the microphone. Okay. (laughs) And so it's really also a very beautiful window kind of into what could be a, you know, stereotypical actor of having to flop between those two things and what's really your true identity. Is it a mesh of both things or is it one or the other thing? Let's kind of talk about how that transition comes to be. So we are introduced to uh, Lita Encore mm-hmm. <laughs> mid-show, right? <laughs> who is also is a so raging funny. alcoholic. Oh, so. yes. <laughs> one, are you having a drink? Oh, no, I'll have one flask vodka. Like, okay. Yeah. Sounds great. She has come and divulges some information uh, that sort of hints at the fact that she might be more connected to stardom than not. Sure. With Miss Ruth Del Marco. Mm-hmm. She, or Judy is Ruth's child. Mm-hmm. It all comes flooding back that mm-hmm. she's a star and oh, she God. is the one who deserves to be 
recognized. Absolutely. So that's end our end of Act One. Mm-hmm. And then we get into Act Two, which is almost like a jarring separate story. Oh, 1000%. It is your B plot. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's no longer this sort of quickly stylized, quick-witted thing. It's almost just like, now you're at ease. Mm -hmm. And now you know who's in control. You understand all of the plot points have been given. So you're just watching it play out. Yeah. Oh, and then we also need to remember that Tina has been sentenced to a juvenile detention center for four years. (laughs) Yeah, because she was turned in by her mother. Yes. Because, you know, nothing says... I love and support you, like, turning them in for a murder that was committed for the role in a show, in a school show, which <laughs> a had... third grade. <laughs> a third grade, which had one show. One. Yes. One. All of our plot points are given. All They're essentially, allegedly, no more red herrings or things to be discerned. Right. So we're watching these characters play out. To which we do then learn there are more things to unveil. Judy, who is now Ginger Del Marco, is living her best life, has won two Tonys. Tony, 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 Tony. In this lovely New York penthouse apartment. And is so stuck in this star-tastic lifestyle. That nothing, nothing about her is wrong. Everyone loves her. People will lay on the ground so she can walk on them. I mean, it is the and absolute. And she has this assistant that will go to no ends to please her. Oh my who's God. also a conniving little wannabe. Yes, on Eve. Top of it all. Oh, Eve. I just, oh, Eve made my skin want to crawl off my body. I've said that twice now about this show, but it is, it is the character that makes me so uncomfortable because they are so unhinged, but you don't know that they're unhinged until they're alone. Right. So it's not until we get this whole big song that she sings about all the stuff that she does when Ginger's not in the room. And it's like, that's the reason why I will never hire somebody to come in my house and do anything for me. Because I don't know, I'm kind of a weirdo. I would really love for you to not like sniff my panties while I'm at work. (laughs) Like, I'm just, I'm not here for it, okay? I'm just, and don't do coke on my coffee table. Like, I would just love if you didn't do that. Well, I do find it funny that once she does do her lovely large sniff, (laughs) she can then tell when the doorbell will ring or the phone will ring before it happens. Before it (laughs) happens. It's, she gets clairvoyant after she does a line of coke. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. It's kind of a funny story. Um, Don't do drugs. Hashtag dare. Hashtag yes. (laughs) Don't do drugs. That is our PSA for today. Got three shows in a row. I know. All the drugs. What? What are we doing? Like, I don't understand. What is this? I was unaware of the amount of drug use in shows. (laughs) Anyway. Always the same. The story is moving chock full of suspense. The plot takes a twist and the mood is intense. Then someone sings a song like this. It doesn't make sense. Please! I hate musicals. Then ultimately it does get revealed uh, that... Sylvia St. Croix is Ruth Ruth Del Del Marco. And then Tina, this is the day she gets released from 
her juvenile detention. Yes! Uh, in her little and cute she dress. she returns to the family. But Ginger is being selfish. She doesn't want to give up her lifestyle. It all sort of comes to a head on how is this new dynamic going to work with yeah. all three of them fighting for a spotlight. Exactly. In a nutshell, it doesn't It continue. does not work out. <laughs> it does not continue in the way that you think it will. Ends up, Eve, the assistant, is Betty Lerman, who is the mother of Louise Lerman. Yes. Out for blood for killing her daughter, Louise. Uh, which, I mean, I support wanting to avenge your child. That's fine. But the way that you're going about this, this is a little bit sus to me. It's a little yeah. bit sus to me. I think maybe she got caught up in the lifestyle, too. Maybe she was starting to she had enjoy to have, it. Because, like, what happened to her husband? Because, like, she and her yeah, husband exactly. are the ones that, like, own the lumber store and all of the other things that put together Pippi and Tahiti. So, what, she has now left her family, too, to go off and pursue this vengeance? Like... Right. There's yeah. a lot of people well, leaving maybe their families. hanging out with Frederick. <laughs> hanging out with Frederick, who is only referenced, never seen. Yeah. You never hear a peep. You oh, you hear oh, no. once. Frederick does come in. Yeah, he allegedly. speaks one quote. Yeah, one time. And then gets shot. Yes, immediately. <laughs> but you Perfect. never see him. <laughs> no. Just a red light and a, and a bang and that's that was the end of poor Frederick. That's great. Yeah, if there was a if there is anything to be gleaned or learned from this show, what do you think it is? Like, what is this crazy? Because by the end, they're all just end up shooting each other in this very like choreographed way. That's amazing. A very Shakespeare-esque Oh yeah, Yeah. it's Hamlet all over this place. One thousand percent. Speaking of like Shakespeare, like Macbeth, like ambition un- and unchecked. What mm-hmm. will it do to someone? Sure. And and this is sort of like what that is in a way, but yeah. I don't, I don't understand. I'm still always looking for maybe something at the end of this, but sure. again, this, this show lives on in my brain as one of those that doesn't need that moral. Cause I will just leave the theater being like, gosh, those people are so hilarious. That was so funny. I would absolutely say that there are themes of what happens when you have ambition and drive that goes unchecked and yeah, what that will do to a person. I would also say that there are themes of what lengths are you willing to go to as a person to achieve the thing that you thought you wanted? Because the, the juxtaposition of this that I find beautiful is that, you know, Tina becomes our red herring kind of in the end, because in the start of the show, she is all stars in her eyes. My life will be beautiful if I am a performer on the stage. Then she goes to juvie. She comes back and she has this whole moment with her mom, who is now Ginger. And she goes, Mom, there are beautiful things in life that can fill your time that aren't about being on stage and being in front of people. And you can just come home with me and we could just be home together and it would still be beautiful. But then she turns around and shoots her mother and goes, oh, there can only be one star in this show and it's me. So the kind of the internal struggle of do we really know what we want? And once we're given it, is it really something that will fulfill all of our hopes and dreams? And it's really the fickle nature of the of performance in general, really, is, you know, there have been times where I have wanted to be in a show so badly that then I get into the show and I go, why in the f*** am I doing this right now? This was awful and I hate this and I'm never going to do it again. And then a cycle goes by where I don't audition for a show and I sit in the theater and I go, I could have done that so much better. 
okay, I'm going to audition for the next show. And the cycle repeats itself. And Ooh, it's, that, it's just the actor's ego, man. It is 1000%. <laughs> and so, yeah, if there was something to glean from that, I would definitely say on a higher, more cerebral level, what are the lengths that you're willing to go to and who are you willing to hurt in the process? And is there any remorse that comes from stepping on someone's neck to get where you need to go? Is this a weird Pippin in a way, a, sh- a show of self-discovery? A little bit. I think <laughs> that through shooting all of the people in her life, I feel like Tina goes through a fire and she kind of destroys herself, the herself that she came to know in juvie and is reborn as the star she always imagined herself to be. Well, what about you, Steven? I mean, like, is there anything, I mean, I know that you just said that it's, kind of one of those shows that you'd walk away from and go, this is, this was really cute. Like it was a campy show, but if there was a, a, a deeper kind of, you know, meaning for you or something that you walked away from, that's more surface level or excuse me, that's less surface level. Like what would that be? Yeah. For yeah, you? yeah. No, I know. I know what you're throwing down. I, I never find like a moral necessarily with the show. Fair what enough. I find is, is a, a look into human nature Ooh, is what this show that's is nice. to me. I like, like that. How how do people react to certain stimuli? And sure. what what is someone's breaking point? What is the thing that you, how do you react when you don't get what you want? How do you react when you get what you want? How sure. do you look at life given everything you've ever wanted? Like do you look back? Is the grass always greener? Like that's what I look at with this show. Sure. And I I love that because depending upon who mounts the show how this show is staged what the choreography is in the show the different talents you find to portray these characters i'm gonna find something new i'm gonna find another nuance that i love and this show just like the writers are still revising and editing sure there's gonna be something new i'm gonna find something something else is gonna pop and that's what i really love about it so it's just this fun study and just like looking at people and uh, what we do given the correct circumstances. I love that. That's awesome. I'm a talented girl, mama. You may say I'm motherless, but I must disagree. For I live for my mother and my mother lives in me. And everything I'll ever do and everything I'll be, I'll be because of mommy dear. My mother lives in me. Tina, take the third chorus. You may say do, do I'm you, have, have you ever heard of this show? What did you find in this show? Like, where did, was it? Was it me again? Am I thrusting this in front of you? You know, you really are. And that's been kind of, again, a, a general theme of a lot of the shows that we've kind of watched over the last little bit. But I've heard of Ruthless and there have been a couple of songs, you know, of course, on my Spotify playlists that are best of Broadway, best belts, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I have heard the music a little bit, but I didn't know what the show was. I had no idea. So I, I'm absolutely coming into this with fresh eyes and ears and really no experience whatsoever. And I think that were I to be a part of this show, like I would really kill to be, I mean, of course I would love to try to be, you know, Judy Denmark slash, you know, Ginger Del Marco, I think would be great. But I feel like that actor specifically has to be able to do things like have a really great set of pipes. You got to be able to dance. Like you've, kind of have to have the full package to be able to do that so i mean as a you know a a secondary casting i would absolutely be myrna i would be the 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 theater teacher that just 
you know, tried it once and then got her stuff stolen at Penn Station. And she was like, well, I'm not doing this anymore. So <laughs> screw that. But uh, yeah, very green. I'm a very I'm greeny to this for sure. I the first time I saw the show, I can't. I was like 19 or 20. Sure. I had worked with this director on the producers and oh, sure. she had then mounted this show uh, not too long after. So I wanted to go support her as the director. Sure. But then the there was a fun father daughter combo. The father was playing Celia St. Croix. And the daughter was playing Tina. Cute. And that daughter is so, so talented. And Cute. I knew that going in. Um, and then there, so there was like a few people to go support. So that was, I walked in blank. Sure. I remember walking out of that theater, like my stomach hurting. Oh. Because I had laughed so hard. It's so good live. Like there's something to be said about like the, the viewings you can have like on video. Sure. It's so so good live that was my first interaction with it and it's just the thing that i walked out was just how hilarious this show is that's so cool and that's that's what it yeah like at a young young age like at barely 20 like just thinking this show is camptastic it was one of my first <laughs> real experiences that um introduced me to like what a camp show could be sure like i i had been introduced to some stuff but like this was my first real immersion into it and i i fell in love with what could be a sort of niche cult musicals at that point so hashtag camptastic i love it that's great uh what are some like strong or weak points of this show for you oh okay um i'll i'll start with the strong points of the show so my my first strong point is one that we've already uh, talked about, but the pacing of this show oh, was... pacing of this show is so good. It's incredible because it just, it really does kind of take you from beginning to end in a way that feels natural, even though we're in such a campy kind of universe. And so I really did appreciate that. I absolutely loved the, I guess, relationship between um, Sylvia St. Croix before she's revealed as Ruth Del Marco and Tina. I just, I kind of, you know, it, it did feel very gypsy to me, but I have such an affinity for gypsy that it just, it sat really well inside the cockles of my heart. So I kind of like loved <laughs> and appreciated that a lot. I mean, it did get a little bit strained though when, you know, of course, Tina is rehearsing for the show now that we know that Louise has met this unfortunate demise and Sylvia is making her do the ballad over and over and over again. And Tina finally yes. goes, I'm tired and I can't do this anymore. So Sylvia goes here, let me show you how it's done. And then that's when Judy who starts becoming ginger mm -hmm. comes in and actually delivers the ballad completely authentically as we have want to right, know it. Cause something's <laughs> clicking in her brain to be like, no, that's not how you should do it. This is how you do it. Exactly. And at Tina's kind of request, she goes, mom or mother, will you show, will you show me how to do it? And then she kind of yeah. goes into this beautiful thing. So I really, I appreciated the authenticity of the relationships between the characters, even though again, we are living in this world of parody. I also did appreciate, I guess, the the commitment of your actors to really telling this story from second one and everyone buying into the idea that this is the world we are going to be in. Because from the beginning, it really did feel like a parody. It didn't, it was authentic, but it was still a parody. Like I knew that this is what it was, even without knowing the show. So I think for this group of actors to be able to kind of 
lend to that from the start was really, really spot on. And I really did appreciate that a lot. Weak points in the show for me there, but it, you know, it's so funny because now I'm saying weak points, but I think about things from the conversations over the 14 or 15 episodes that we've done together or 14 or 15 shows that we've done together that it, the things that I think are weak points could possibly be covering up other things. My biggest weak point is the entirety of the song. I hate musicals. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I just, because there are three, you know, she does these three, uh, Lita Encore does these three verses of talking about how she does not like various and sundry parts of musicals and how it's a waste of time. And it has to serve some sort of purpose, though, because I can hear you now in the back of my brain going, they're doing a costume change or they're doing a set change or like, that's why we're doing this because we have to give an actor a break somewhere. And that's why we're doing this. And but that song just went on a little bit too long for me. I I hate it because I've said it before. I love these songs that are juxtapositioned in the not not. Sure. Like clearly this person likes musicals. This is how they make their bread and butter. Right. But she hates musicals and her name's Lita Encore. Right. She's encoring. So she's living up to her namesake. And it's just so it's meta funny. It's so funny. But no, you're right. This sh- that that song you end up by the third time just being like, okay, we're we're done. Can we be done? I need Can, to be done. <laughs> Can we be done? I need to be done. Would I kind of miss it? Maybe, M- maybe, maybe. But I might not. I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to. It's, it's on my contenders to be cut, so I know exactly what you're and saying. And the only other weak point that I can really kind of call to mind would be at the very end when they have this whole big number together all all six women are on stage and they're singing you know about the, it feels like a resolution song right feels like it's going to be the bum bum at the very end of this and then we continue on past that to get to the ultimate final tragedy it's like a fake ending it is in a fact, fake they ending they did this in Oklahoma they did i know and i hated it then and i hate it now (laughs) any favorite songs in this show oh oh god (laughs) i'm gonna go first do it i tell me love opening number tina's mother (laughs) i knew you would i knew you would love it it. oh like i re-watching it this last time I'm like, I think I found my new, like, audition piece. Oh, my God. Okay, I would love that for you. I would. I think I found a new audition piece, and I think I could kill it. So, one, I could live out of fantasy. But two. There you go. it's, It's structured so well. Sure. For a character actor. And you can tell so much in between the lines Mm -hmm. that it's so interesting. But I think my second runner up is actually Angel Mom, which is the one that Tina has Sylvia sort of take over and show. And then ultimately Judy takes over and sings for Tina. Sure. And it's sort of like everything sort of comes full circle and we get other layers of everyone and everything sort of comes to to its hinge for the end of act one sure i love that i support that a thousand percent i would say most definitely i mean tina's mother was such a beautiful way to open this show because it does really kind of establish who judy is from the get-go so we don't need to 
kind of guess as to what is important to her. We know that she is the quintessential mom. That and is just... we've learning, we've learned everything we need to learn about Tina. Oh, absolutely. Immediately. We know exactly who these people are on the surface. So I think, yeah, I am totally with you. I think Tina's mother was an, is an excellent song. I think the other one that I would say is one of my favorites is when they're all singing uh, Ruthless. Because, you know, with it, again, being such a big song, it, I find it funny that I'm uh, that I like the songs that are bookended. Just, you know, beginning and end. That's it. We've pulled everybody together now in the final moments of this show. And it's really your big kind of ending, you know, belting ballad which is delicious and i'm always down for a for a belting ballad and uh, i think my only other contender i think would be where tina gets it from uh i really i mean you know it's that i, I would say that that's a that's a, that's a contender. Her assistant i soak up her glamour and sometimes i am her On her undies, her perfume and jewels Slip into her nightgown and slap on her mules I guzzle her liquor, I eat all her food I cuddle her tonies when I'm in the nude I love the witty lines that end up coming from this show. Oh my god, the one-liners! The, like, just overall things, like the witticisms and, like, the quickness, kind of like you're saying with this pace. Sure. And if you're not careful, you like you miss it. And like I'm gonna absolutely slaughter this, but it it it's like that. Um, this whole Sylvia Saint Croix enters for the first time and is talking with Judy. Judy has some like food and coffee like set out on the table, of course. And of course. so there's some toast on the table with some coffee. And so <laughs> Sylvia goes and's like, "Oh, is that what? Oh, what's that?" And she's like, "Oh, toast." We're like, "Would you like some?" No, not toast. Blah blah blah. What did you say your last name was? Denmark. Where's that from? Danish. Oh, no, I'll have the toast. And you're like, "Whoa." <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, God. But it was so good. Yeah. And I'm like, what? But it's so fun and quick. And so that's the kind, that's my kind of comedy. And I love it. Oh, absolutely. Um, so to me, it's a strong point because these actors have to uphold that for a long time. <laughs> yeah, for an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then it's also like, so I keep thinking about like Sylvia St. Croix as a drag performer. And I, I've, as I was reading some of this, how this show was built, they wrote it in such a way they do not give two flips about gender in (laughs) all of this. They're like, sure, cast Lita as another drag performer, cast whatever. They, they're pretty much like, we would love it to be female presenting in what you do, but please cast anybody in any role we do not care because what they care about and what the show's theme is is about do they have the talent absolutely if you can play that role play that role do it all they care about absolutely so i think that's one of the strong points in the show for me if some little boy out there is the absolute bestest at playing this amazing little psychotic girl cast him (laughs) that would be so cute right yeah so i just think it's i i love how open it is i love and i think that's a strong point for the show that these characters are so well set in their trope that 
all you have to have is talent. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Weak points overall. I think the only thing that I can really take as as weak is overall that ambiguous ending because i think i've been stating it as i've been going along like what do you glean from this show because i don't know that i glean anything is this something i'm missing is this something i'm wanting so maybe even going through all of this and watching all of these people with weird sordid histories and awkward humanity i want to maybe have a little guidance as to be like what's your intention with this person like why did they have such a part to play in all of this and you know what's their what's their outcome maybe that is better that you don't know because you don't life in life you don't know absolutely that's the point (laughs) couple side fun notes of just quotes i do love from this show yes tell me life's a bitch and it starts in third grade yes That actually needs to be a t-shirt because I feel that on a level in my soul. So, so much. I love uh, Sylvia's opening monologue about sort of setting that tone of what is talent and how do we find it? it, Are you born? Um, What was the other one? Oh, booze, pills, heavy meals late at night. And they're talking about the (laughs) actor's lifestyle. And I'm like... How dare you? How <laughs> dare you? Oh my god. Booze pills and heavy meals late at night. Because let's be real, that is absolutely a theater kid thing as you all go, "Hey Mimi, let's push these tables together." Like you all go out and have a meal yeah. after your rehearsal or after your show. One of the moments that I gr- that I grabbed onto that I actually had to go back and listen to again was when it is revealed that Tina did actually do this thing and Judy goes, "Well, you could have just hurt her." <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, okay, mom, we're condoning that we can do bodily harm. Just don't kill her. Here's what's funny. So you know the theater that lives in the lovely Helena, Montana. I sure do. Yeah. And I've always said I felt like I was in Stepford so many times living, working with, there's always this, it it feels so not fake because I don't want to like throw that into the world because these people aren't fake they're meaning it like it's it's very very heartfelt about like they're supportive and they want everyone to do well and like it's it's this lovely community but i come from a little harder of a we'll call it situation so (laughs) when i entered this this theater we we started to do shows i was like oh i don't have to want to push someone down the stairs in order to further my career here (laughs) okay uh, got to learn how to back off on that a little bit. <laughs> but <laughs> Ease up off the homicide pedal there, yeah. dear. So, yeah. So, uh, it, I, 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 there's a little bit of Tina in me. I'm not going to lie. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bit of Tina in, in every performer because we have that performer's envy and we go, I could do this better if only there was, if only the understudy had the ability to go on, but the understudy only goes on if something happens to the lead, you know. Look out to the audience, wink, wink. Wink, (laughs) wink, nudge, nudge. I mean, we all know that we've thought about if I am an understudy, I'm like, you know, all it would take is just me sticking a foot out right when you're doing your pot of beret and then you break your ankle and now you can't be on stage anymore. 
Not that I've ever had that thought. And I would never say that I would ever do this ever, never, ever. If you can't tell, that's wicked sarcasm. (laughs) Um, But I mean, it is unfortunately a very human thing to look at someone and go, I can do it better or why her and not me. I mean, that's a huge theme of life a lot of times is why them and not me. She thinks that she can toss me aside. She's got a nerve. I'll get the girl. So hopelessly wrapped up in her life, you don't deserve that little girl. True, your reviews may be glowing. The critics, darling, they say, well, darling, your ego is showing. Today's hot tamale, tomorrow grows colder. The future is here, dear. Look over your shoulder. I'm gonna take her. And I'm gonna make her a bigger star, a brighter star. I guess that lets us speed right along into a let's table read this lovely show. (laughs) Does it pass these tests, this lovely show we know as ruthless women? Yeah. Yeah. Which you had even said last episode, you went, this will pass a Bechdel test. <laughs> like, oh, it passes like, they, they could give less of two shits yeah. about men. <laughs> Don't even care. They're like, no, we good. Like, they talk about Frederick, but that's Judy. I mean, like, oh, he's fine. <laughs> he's, well, do you know what he does? No. Well, you no. must be very proud. <laughs> I love Sylvia because she's so quick at like making fun of it. Like, Frederick, whatever he does. Whatever he and, does. <laughs> yeah. And then her mother quote, you know, Lita, like calling him by the wrong name. <laughs> yeah. Kenneth. Right. So good. Uh, Kenneth yeah, Frederick, that's whatever. How, that's that's how ineffective men are in this show. Yes. One thousand percent. Are women po- pointed in the best light? Maybe not. But <laughs> <laughs> that's semantics. Fine. Who cares? It's fine. Semantics. Yeah, it's OK. It's great. <laughs> a win is a win. Yes. Just like Tina. She got to go on. She sure did. And she got to go <laughs> on forever. any means necessary. Yes. Uh, race. The thing I'm going to say, I don't think it matters. It does not matter. The only three that you have to make sure, like, sort of link up with any sort of heritage probably are going to be your three that end up being mother, actual mother-daughter. Sure. And that's really going to be the only thing. Otherwise, I'm not going to say in any fashion that uh, uh, the color of your skin is going to impede anything no. with this. So, no. no. It, it, is it stuck in a weird 50s-esque 60s time? Kind of. Yeah. But I kind of, I, I would love to see the juxtaposition in that, I too, as well. Because I like these shows that are reimagining and just saying, screw that, I don't care. Yeah. Pull a Bridgerton and reimagine the world. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Representation. Now, because we have a drag queen, a little bit of, you know, gay culture, so to speak, is represented in there. I I won't say there's like any sort of like lesbian tones per se. Oh, there is that funny quick joke about, I think it's with Myrna. Am I, I know what you're thinking. Am I a lesbian? No. Or something Mm -hmm. that's really quick in passing. So it's brought up, Mm -hmm. but also just like there, the two women are finally alone together in a room and it is brought up. Yeah. So I'm, I will say it's just quickly in passing again the show is about nothing but the getting to the talent so i don't think it needs to be anything but i will say having a drag queen representation means truly anything i think can be represented and it's not 
a problem. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would even argue that there are, there is one moment with, you know, Eve and Ginger where Eve kind of gets a little close to her and like almost not fondles her a little bit, but like is grabbing at her robe and like the, it feels like there could be a little bit of something there. But I think the point of this particular, you know, test it could also just be is the drugs. Correct. Uh, I think the point of this particular test is to say, does the is the story lacking this representation? And if it is by adding it or changing things to try to force it, would it then pass or is it required to still tell the story? Yeah. Does it add anything? And yeah. I say no. And I, I say no. So. Yeah. I think just like you said, the I, I appreciate the the drag performer edition. Um and I think that that is great representation in that way. But the fact that from the onset, I mean S- Sylvia is treated like this person who is playing Sylvia is treated as one of the women. Like we don't, it's never said that this person is a drag queen. So like especially for people who are aren't I guess, well-versed in the world of drag performance, like you may not even know that that person's a drag performer. And and more to the point, it would not matter because all we're doing is telling the story of what happens when ambition and drive get in the way of morality and what you're willing to do to do that. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, the drag performer was under strict instruction, do not play it as a drag queen, play it as this woman, play it as Sylvia. And that's uh, that's exactly what happened. So perfect. Would this story hold up without the music? This one is really difficult for me because there were a lot of musical moments that kind of enhanced what was going on in the world, which, as we learned in the last episode, you know, the music was written specifically for a show, right? Or we've been in this era where music is being, is directly influenced by the material. With the question posed as it is, would Ruthless as a show being the parody that it is, would it hold up without the music? I mean, this one is really hard for me. I honestly, I might lean towards no, strictly because when I think parody, especially if we're referencing things like Gypsy, you know, um, Mame, uh, Annie, like we've got these absolutely, you know, core musicals that have lived on Broadway forever and ever. Amen. I don't think it would have the same weight. Now, would it still be something that I would watch? Absolutely. Because it would be hilarious. But (laughs) I think it could live in a burlesque world oh I don't, yes. I, don't, I don't i don't classify this musicals oh no 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 all the all the performances take place at their specific point of time sure right because they were on stage doing their thing yes. but like coyote ugly like some people are like oh musical i'm like it's not that's not a musical <laughs> try me again um but i i don't I am almost a 50-50 on this because you need you in this particular story, you need the performance aspect and knowing how good they are to tell that talent portion of yeah, the story. Totally. So how do you tell that without showing it? And you just believe them? Exactly. It's very so unless, a showcase unless in you, that way. Yeah, unless you showcase it and like give it that scene with that specific thing to where it's still not it's not a musical, but there is a musical number in it sort of thing. Maybe, but yeah, overall, would it be, would the music be missed with the musical numbers? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say, I think this particular version of this show has to have music. Yes. Yeah. Could it change era, time and decade? You go first. It sounds like you got, you got something you want to say. Yeah. 
Oh, 100%. Yeah. It doesn't have to be where it's at. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a year reference. I mean, truly the only reference that they give is just the, the physical setting with her, her costume, Tina's costume, and then the, the can of lemon pledge. Those are really the only kind of big like staples of this looks like it's the 1950s. But that's all set. That's all costumes. Correct. That's what I'm saying, though, is that there's no reference in the show that they don't drop specific things about the time or the, you know, lines that would give away where we are. Can you imagine this being in like a 2020 or a 2022, 23? There were too many twos in that sentence that I just said. (laughs) Um, Can you imagine this? But being, you know, with someone like an influencer, a TikTok star, like being Insta famous and what does being, you know, fame on Instagram look like? Well, I killed an influencer and there's a video out there now that shows me killing this person. Everyone's like, oh my God, she's so edgy. Like you could absolutely move this into a different time and it would still hold the same weight, I feel. Yeah, because again, it's all about what will people do for stardom? Exactly. And that's a question that's been universal throughout pretty much any age. Amateur or professional? Scale of one to 10. Oh, wow. This is going to sit about at a 4.5. And I really, I say that merely because there are, unlike Oklahoma, where we've got these really big dance numbers, a dream ballet that you got to do. You've got to have that prowess to be able to really nail those particular things. From my watch of this, I didn't really see a lot of big, you know, choreography, there wasn't a lot of a lot of physical movement with the exception of Ginger when she gets kind of in the second part of this. Like she she has to, I guess, look a certain way, I suppose. But I mean, vocal prowess, I think you got to You got to have somebody that's got pipes. I mean, your whole cast has to be able to yeah. carry these tunes and carry harmonies and, and really big, nice, long vibrato moments. But I mean, you can if you you can train the right people, if you've got raw talent, you can train anybody to do anything. Yeah. So I feel like this would absolutely be a good could be a community theater piece. It could even be so far as you could do it as a college piece. I mean, I think that it's very approachable in that way. Is it show stopping like we're talking 42nd Street level dance? No. I'm actually going to go higher than you. That rarely happens. Uh, that rarely does happen. 5.5. Okay. Well, that's not by, I mean, that's by a, a respectable margin. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I'm doing it because if you, I think this was also said too, they really don't care how, what age you cast people as. Sure. Either. Like some, it's almost adds to a little bit of the camp sometimes. Casting the little girl as some like adult female could be hilarious in a way. <laughs> You know, uh, wearing her cute little dress. Oh, God. Pigtails. But uh, if if you do it sort of within age range, uh, one, I'm going to give it a little bit higher because you're asking a lot of this little girl. That is very true. And two, I'm going to give it that extra point because of stylization. Were I the director of the show, that would be day one. I'm not going to let you slack on any of that. And you're, it's going to have to be built into your like muscle memory when you're when you're doing this, because it's all of the quick lookouts. It's the um, synchronized movements. Sure. It's all of the small nuances that are going to make this show go from lower level to at least medium level. Sure. And that's what I would expect from my cast. So I'm, I'm going to say five point five. 50 years from now, do you think Ruthless will still be being staged? Would you show it to aliens? 
So selfishly, do I want this to continue to be staged in 50 years? Absolutely. Because I think that it is, there is a theme of this that is very universal that I think a lot of people could learn if they are looking for it. But unfortunately, I do think that this this might be one that might be lost to the annals of history in 50 years because of the fact that, yes, it did have successful runs being just a show, but it's never been on Broadway, right? Like, it's always been kind of Broadway adjacent. And so I do not feel that it has the support to be able to be shown in 50 years. And while I think this would be hilarious to show to aliens, I do not think it would be the best representation of what theater is as an art form from the human race. So I think I would also say no, I would not show it to aliens. No, I don't think it will be around in 50 years. It's very sad to say. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it will. I, here's the thing, though. I think it's going to be replaced with something similar oh, and probably. of the like. Oh, like, sure. replace like for like, yeah. I think is what's going to happen with sure. this one. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, would I show it to aliens? I actually think I would just to, like, <laughs> entertain myself. <laughs> just to watch uh, some sort of intelligent being go. Is this how humans get ahead as they kill each other? I think I yes. think it's it's at the baseline. I think that under it would help them understand a part of our psyche. A yes, little bit, you know. I, yeah, I can see the merit in that for sure. <laughs> we thoughts on ruthless the musical what an excellent way to spend an hour and 45 minutes i really loved it it was absolutely is it correct am i correct i need to know is it one of your new favorite little niche cute cult musicals i yes it is it absolutely fits inside that box you are right one thousand percent so will i watch this again probably because i really appreciated the authenticity with which characters developed their relationships how scary that little girl is and how you know great it can be to see what ambition does to somebody even though it pushes her to a very dark place it's still something relatable to me as an actor so i'm grateful that we watched it and i think it was a fabulous camptastic romp my final thoughts on ruthless i think i identify a lot with this show because i think i go through Every single feeling that all of these people go through, yes, uh, <laughs> at some point, and it, it depending on that day, that week, that hour, that year, sure. whatever it is. I think at some point you find yourself in one of their shoes, and that's maybe what's even more entertaining is that it's this show is less about finding that one person you can glom onto; it's more about understanding 
all of these experiences are is us as not only performers but just people going through crazy life (laughs) totally absolutely well my darling my love my favorite portion of this show tell me the clue for what we're doing next time Ooh. well number one next show we're doing is actually going to be our final show of the season (gasps) we've come to the finale of our season yeah at least a a little button to the end of our season one we'll probably have some fun other little things we'll release in mid-season but yeah again like well that's number number one i'm gonna throw out to you so you only got one more to do and we'll have a little little lighty down for a second uh just to regroup but we'll probably have you watching all the other musicals for us to uh (laughs) Fantastic. To cover later. I so. love that. It's beautiful. But the clue and tease. Ooh, tease oh, no, don't For tease the next me. one. Ooh. I'm going to say the tease for this upcoming show. The original script was written by a video store clerk. <gasps> Shut up. What? What? A vid. Oh, God. Well, as always, I'm stuck here thinking about things that are probably not right. Will you please drop our socials before we trundle off to uh, our ruthless vibes and OSHA violating non-union shows? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Please like, follow, subscribe, comment, hate, mail us, everything that you can possibly think of uh, (laughs) at our Instagram at from the top underscore pod on Instagram. Uh, We drop some fun content. We're we're slowly growing everything there as well. But uh, if you wanted to get more in depth, really chew us out. Or if you want to spread some love or if you want to call us out on something we said wrong or if you have an idea of some shows you want to us to add into our season two lineup we are podcast from the top at gmail.com please shoot us a line we always love criticism and or love notes so until next time this has been from From the the top a wandering unicorn production What would you do for the leading role in a show? Well, I've done it. That's all I'll say.